everyone. It's good to see you today. My name is Dan. I'm a member here at Grace, and it's my privilege to be able to open God's Word with you today. We're continuing our journey through the book of Ephesians, verse by verse, word by word, and I want to tell you that as we've gotten into teaching on spiritual warfare, already we've had people in this body who have had victory over the enemy because they've been able to identify that it was spiritual warfare. They've been able to fight it with the correct weapons. They've been able to put on the armor of God as instructed by Scripture, and Christ is winning the victory. So I want to tell you from the beginning, um, if you're struggling today and if you feel like you're under a lot of heat, a lot of attack, guess what? We've got good news for you. Christ is victorious, and he can bring the victory in your life. And today we're going to get into God's Word, and we're going to learn because we need to believe that. So let me give you the main thoughts. This is kind of what we'll be unpacking. A couple of things. First off is that spiritual warfare is real, and God calls us to readiness. Not fear, not hyper-awareness. Uh, as Pastor Ryan said a few weeks ago, that we don't believe that there's a demon behind every rock, but there are some demons behind some rocks. Okay? God calls us to readiness. We are on the offense and defense simultaneously. Spiritual warfare is personal. I'll tell you a lot more about that here in a few minutes. But as I said a minute ago, victory is sure, and that's why we're here this morning. So let's, let's get to our jumping off point. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, if you still have your Bible open, we're told, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Let's talk about offense. God's word tells us in verse 15 that we are to have our feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Now, the significance of footwear is quite different now than it has been throughout history. We don't understand this in our modern minds because the cheapest shoes that we can buy today are really better than what anyone in ancient times had. Back then, footwear, unless you were super wealthy, footwear was all function, not fashion. So the sandals, when you see, you know, Bible plays and stuff and everyone's wearing their sandals, they weren't wearing Keens or Tevas or Birkenstocks. They weren't headed to a drum circle on the quad or to play hacky sack with the other hippies wearing their fancy sandals. They were basically wearing pieces of animal hide wrapped around their foot, tied on with leather straps. It was just to provide a layer of protection from stones and any kind of sharp objects they might step on. No traction, no art support, no gel. No one was gelling back then, not a single one. So imagine living in daily life, walking around on wet surfaces, and all you have is a slick piece of leather under your feet with no grip. That's what sandals were. Now the context here is Roman armor. So Christians in Ephesus, when they read this letter about the armor of God, they would have first pictured what the Roman soldiers were carrying and wearing. Now, the Roman sandals were also leather, which, while flimsy, were also breathable. So if you do cross water or get them wet, they could dry off. 
But one thing that the, the, the soldiers did was that they would affix metal spikes to the soles of their sandals. And this gave them, them the ability in battle to run forward into battle and then upon meeting the enemy could push into the fight. And after knocking someone down, those sandals were really handy for stomping on the head of an enemy. Yeah, it's, it's war. It wasn't playtime. They were, they were trying to kill each other. That's how this works. So understand, we are called to a readiness that involves being on the offense, moving forward. These sandals are not accessory pieces made to be kept clean and new. They are made to get muddy and bloody because these sandals are weapons of war. And so I find it interesting with such a, a, I don't know, useful yet violent tool that in the same passage, we are told that we are to have our feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Understand that is not a contradiction. It's an elaboration. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is standing before the Roman ruler Agrippa, and he's sharing his testimony about how Christ had come to him. And here's what Christ had told Paul. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. If you've been coming around here for a little bit, you probably have heard us say something like, preach the gospel to yourself. If you're new to church, that probably doesn't make any sense at all. It's part of our vocabulary here at Grace. Uh, Or maybe you grew up in a church that taught a little more narrow perspective on what the gospel really is, a more narrow understanding. And so preach the gospel to yourself might sound strange. So let's define our terms. First of all, what is the gospel? The word gospel means good news. Good news is important because there's also bad news. And we have to understand the bad news first before we can really understand how good the good news is. And here's the bad news. We are sinners. Because of Adam and Eve, the first two humans, every one of us has been born into sin. We commit sin. There are sins of commission where we actually do things. God says, do not lie. Do not steal. Do not covet. Do not murder. Do not lust. And when we do these things, we are committing sin. There's also sins of omission. God says, do these things, and we don't. Love your neighbor as yourself. Honor your father and mother. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Give generously. Bear one another's burdens, etc. We are told to do these things, and when we don't, we are omitting them and committing sins of omission. And because of this, we are guilty before God. God is holy. God can only accept complete, perfected holiness. And we're unholy on our own. So the gospel is good news when we understand the bad news. We have a broken relationship with God. We have no promise or no hope of eternal life, no hope for life after death, and no hope for this life. The good news is that Jesus is God that took on human flesh. He lived a perfect life, 
perfectly obeyed the law of God, and he died for us as our holy sacrifice. So by his blood, by believing in him, we can take on his righteousness. We are then declared righteous because of what Jesus has done. Our relationship with God can be restored. We can be accepted into God's family, declared as his sons and daughters. And my friends, that is good news. In Colossians chapter 1, 19-22, the Bible tells us, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross, shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. That's where we stand before God in Christ. There is life after death because by putting your faith in Jesus, you can be sure that heaven will be your home when you die. You can live eternally in glory with Christ and with every believer that has come before us. And that's awesome and it's true, but that's not the whole gospel. If we only think of the gospel as you go to heaven when you die, we're robbing ourselves ourselves of truth that we need right now. And if we present the gospel only from the aspect of after you die, you get to receive this glorious gift, we're not really sharing the full picture with people of what Jesus has to offer, that peace. I was taught to share the gospel this way, and I, I did that for a long time. You kind of begin the conversation with, you know, if you died today, that you would spend eternity in heaven, or something along those lines. And, and uh, had the privilege of leading people to Christ that way, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. Keep doing it. Don't stop. <laughs> but what I found over time um, in my background, you know, when I was a pastor and things like that, to see that people are struggling with it right now. And yeah, eternity is horrifying to a lot of people, but they're barely getting through today. And so we want to declare the gospel in, in its fullness. That is, Jesus offers peace and hope right now. Now, you don't have to carry the weight. There's good news. He will carry it for you. And we need to remind ourselves of that. It's our identity. In Christ, it is our identity. It's fact. It's true. We need to remind ourselves and others that when we fail, we are not failures. When we lose, we are not losers. When we doubt, we are not hopeless. When we wander, we are not lost. When we sin, we are not dirty and unlovable. We are not identified by that. We are in Christ. And in Christ, we are chosen, accepted, and beloved. We are His. We are His. In Christ, we are royalty. We are empowered by His Holy Spirit. We are highly favored. We are seen and heard and intimately known by God. And my friends, that is good news. And I need to hear it. And you need to hear it. And the whole world needs to hear it. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4, says, But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age, little g, that's talking about Satan, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So we have to understand 
We're talking about the gospel. This is not some empty, self-help, humanistic, motivational mumbo-jumbo. This is not the baloney the world is peddling. This is not, look at me, look how great I'm doing. I'm very strong and capable, and I've got it all put together. Everything is awesome. And we're hoping that other people believe it, so maybe one day we will too. It reminds me of a painting I once saw of a clown. And the clown is smiling and happy with the makeup on, but when you look closer, you see that, that the man behind the makeup is frowning, and there's tears streaming down his face from a distance. And because of the makeup, everything looks great. But when you get close, you see everything is not great. So I want to tell you, when we talk about the gospel and the hope we have in Christ, it's not makeup. It's not a facade that we're just trying to tell ourselves everything's okay. It's not a bogus pep talk. It is refocusing on what is real, that we have hope in Jesus Christ, we need to believe it, and we need to speak it out loud because the gospel gives peace. And my friends, the only thing that can calm the rough waters you might find yourself in today is hope and peace that comes from Jesus. We have to look not within, not around. We have to look up because peace is a divine gift only from God. It's only found in the gospel. Listen to what Jesus said in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. And so when you put your faith in Jesus, you are putting your faith in the one who rules over all things. He has conquered the world. And we're called to take this message to the world. We're on the offense. In Matthew 28, Jesus told his disciples when he was about to ascend into heaven, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Think about the words that God chose there, the gates of hell. Gates are for defense. So when Jesus tells us that these gates cannot prevail against his church, that means we're supposed to be attacking those gates. We're on offense. We are kicking down doors because people are in bondage and Jesus can set them free. Unfortunately, many Christians are so afraid of being offensive that they're not on the offense. It's always easier to disobey God and obey culture and obey society, obey whatever the latest thing is. It's always easier to do that. But Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. As long as we are telling people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear, we're keeping them in bondage. If your motivation is to be kind and be loving, my friend, not telling the truth is neither loving or kind. We must speak the truth in love because knowing the truth is what allows it to set people free. 
Here's what God says about those who bring his word forward. Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings good news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This is why we take the gospel to the world. We're fighting for souls. This is why we put on these sandals and we're ready and we push forward into battle because the gospel brings peace. There's a war going on around us. There are people under heavy assault from Satan. Some of them don't even know it. Yet there's a peace available. That peace is only found in the God-man, Jesus Christ. We're on the offense but we're also at the same time on defense. The next verse says that we are in every situation to take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. If we're going to run headfirst in the battle, we need some sort of protection from the enemy. The shield that most likely came to mind to the original readers of this letter would be what the Romans carried. It was called a scutum. It was a large shield, about two feet wide, four feet tall, two layers of wood glued together overlapping. On top of that would be a layer of thick linen, and on top of that, a layer of leather. And with being two feet by four feet, that gave space that a soldier could crouch behind it and be fully protected. And the shield was big enough not only to block strikes, but also to push forward into battle. We have to understand when we talk about faith that this shield is only as strong as what our faith is in. John, 1 John 5, verses 1 through 5, look at this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children when we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands and his commands are not a burden. Because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Anytime God's word tells us to have faith, it's never just faith in faith. Faith in the good of our others. Faith in fate. The universe We'll work it out. Bad things don't happen to good people or some other generic thing or, or, or the, some faceless entity. The, this force will just make things work out in some way or another. The Bible never teaches us just believe and everything will work out. It tells us that God works out all things for our good. It tells us to believe in the work of God, the love of God, the work of Christ and what he can do. We are not putting our faith in created things, but in the creator of all things. Let's talk about the arrows, flaming arrows of the evil one. I put together a little bit of a list. I, I read a lot about this recently, and so here's a few examples. But Satan attacks creatively and extensively, and so this goes far beyond what I have listed today. Flaming arrows of the evil one. It could be physical attacks, such as pain, sickness. It could be that people, people that come into our lives to cast doubt in us. Maybe it's sudden, vile thoughts or images, disgusting words or pictures. It can be 
uh, shame coming back for old sins. Remember, Christian, when we have repented of sin and received forgiveness, God doesn't bring it back up. So when you feel that shame from an old sin, know that is a spiritual attack from the enemy. It's not God bringing it up again. It is Satan, and so we've got to address it for what it is. It's a flaming arrow from the enemy. Also, it could be random blasphemous thoughts, self-hatred, thoughts of suicide, thoughts of violence against others. It could be doubting God's goodness or God's character. It could be negativity towards your, your spouse, your children, your friends, your community group, your pastors, your church. This might happen while you're listening to a sermon or worshiping or reading the Bible. Suddenly these thoughts pop into your head. It could be negativity or resentment or anger, harsh judgment of others and and their weaknesses or, or doubting their intentions, assuming things about other people. This bears fruit in our lives. When we are overcome by these thoughts, well, what do we think next? Well, I must be a terrible person to think this way. If I have these kind of thoughts, I, I, I must not be godly. I must be a failure as a Christian. Maybe I'm not a Christian. I'm alone. I'm worthless. I'm unlovable. I'm unworthy of error. When I was preparing this part this week, actually Friday night, something really grabbed me for a minute. If you have recently had this thought, um, I'm unworthy of breath or air, you specifically, I want to pray for you after we're done here. Um, Because God wants you to know that you are, and he is the provider of air, and that breath you just took, that's from him. There it is again. That we read in the book of Genesis that God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 that all scripture is theonoustos, breath of God. All scripture is breathed out by God. And so I want you to understand that when you take a breath, that air is the same air that created the first humans and gave him life. It's the same air that breathed out God's word to us. So I'd love to pray for you when we're done. We are to recognize that these attacks are flaming arrows of the evil one. And we don't have to fear them because we are on offense and defense simultaneously. And spiritual warfare is personal. In Mark chapter 5, you can read this later. Mark chapter 5, Jesus goes to this village, and there's a man who's demon-possessed. And the, the Bible tells us this guy is just running wild. The village doesn't know what to do with him. They can't restrain him. They tried to shackle him. He's breaking the shackles. He runs through the tombs all night, screaming. He's cutting himself with stones. And Jesus gets there, and there's the man, and the demons cry out, begging him not to hurt them. And Jesus does something that is kind of strange to us. He says to the demon... What is your name? And the demon says, my name is Legion, because we are many. Now the short version is, Jesus casts the demons out. The man is set free. He's suddenly in his right mind, sitting calmly at Jesus' feet. So 
First and foremost, Jesus is more powerful than demons. So just, if you only remember one thing today, hang on to that, okay? But also, I, I think it's helpful that Jesus asked that question because it reminds us demons are living, thinking beings. So here's how they came to be. In the beginning, when God had all his angels and had not, not created man yet, one of the angels named Lucifer tried to lead a rebellion to overtake God. And when he did that, he took one-third of the angels with him, and those angels became demons. So Lucifer was his original name. Now we know him as Satan, the devil. So one-third of the original angels are demons, and they are the ones waging this warfare on us. They are the ones shooting flaming arrows at us. And so I want us to remember that, that it's personal because this is not some, again, not some generic force of just bad things happening, but these are former angels fighting against us, shooting precise chosen arrows our way because what bothers me, what gets to me may not get to you. And the things that get to you or work against you in attack may not work on me. And so the enemy, because he's a living, thinking being, he chooses the attacks that work on us. It's personal. But I have good news. Remember how I told you that, that the shield was covered in leather? It's for a very important reason. One strategy that the Roman armies used was they would keep that leather layer wet. So when the flaming arrows began to land upon them, they would hit the shield and be extinguished by the water. And God tells us that we have a shield that can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Wonderful. The Roman shield was also designed to work along other shields. A group of fighters could position themselves together and form an enclosure that they called a testudo. I, I think that's how you say it. Italian. I don't speak Italian. My understanding is you just do like this. Like you're showing someone a stamp, but also shaking it violently. And then you really lay into the second to last vowel. Testudo, yeah. Spaghetti. Marinara. So that's probably how you say it. Regardless, it means tortoise. So they're going into battle. The enemy is shooting flaming arrows. They link together. The arrows hit the shield that are wet, and the flaming arrows are extinguished. I got to experience that this week firsthand. See, the Bible says take up the shield of faith in every situation. So let me tell you about what happened. Wednesday night, I went to bed feeling great. I'd been working on the sermon. I was excited. I was eager for Sunday. And then sometime during the night, I woke up. And I just felt uneasy, restless, anxious. I was having some physical pain as well. And I started thinking, it's getting late. You're tired. You've got a busy day tomorrow. You've got a busy evening tomorrow. You've got a busy weekend. And these thoughts begin to go through my head over and over and over again over the course of hours. And by the time my alarm went off, I, my excitement was discouragement. The peace and the joy I had was replaced with dread. And I'm thinking, why did I even agree to preach? This is going to be the worst sermon ever. I'm going to fail. 
I'm going to fall on my face. It's going to make the church look bad. It's going to make the Bible look bad. I'm just, this is what I'm thinking through. And I get up that morning, and I'm, I'm just heavy. I'm just heavy. And I remembered, hey, why don't you preach the gospel to yourself? So I did from Isaiah 55, 11, where God says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That's what God says. My eyes were reopened to the truth that this is bigger than me. And even though God doesn't need me, he wants to use me. This is not dependent on me, but on God. And then about an hour and a half later, I get an encouraging text message from our friend Joe. Thank you, Joe. And then about 30 minutes after that, one of my patients, who's a pastor, and we've been talking about this sermon, he just, he hugged me. <laughs> He's preaching right now. Right there in the middle of the clinic, he just hugged me. Prayed over me. That God would speak powerfully through me. And it clicked. What was happening See, our shields were locked together. And at that moment, the arrows stopped. I'm telling you, it, it was two seconds I went from heavy to let's go. Yeah. That's what happens when we link our shields together. The fiery darts are quenched. The arrows cannot penetrate. So when we when we practice the one another's of scripture, when you en encourage a brother or sister, when you reach out to someone, when you enter into their situation, when you correct and rebuke in love, when you teach them, when you weep with those who weep, you're locking your shields together. The flaming arrows cannot get through. 2 Corinthians 10 Verses 3 through 5 says, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey cross, Christ. When you have that thought and you preach the gospel to yourself, that thought is taken captive. We are not subject to be beaten by the personalized attacks of the evil one. The fiery darts do not have to get to you because we have a shield and it is a mighty shield. Let's keep in mind, when you read the armor of God, though, this is a two-handed fight. We're going to read probably next week, I guess, that there's a sword involved as well. We have the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which means if both my hands are occupied, I can't shoot arrows myself. When we're in conflict with a brother or sister, with a spouse, or with our children, we've got to be careful or else we begin to shoot flaming arrows. If my hands are full, I can't shoot a bow and arrow. If you're busy about the work of the gospel, fighting with the sword of the Spirit, fighting with the shield of faith, pushing forward with spiked sandals. There are no hands left to fire arrows at someone else. In the midst of marital conflict, 
Remember that your spouse is not the enemy. Satan is. When we focus on the negative, when we see the negative, when we speak the negative, we're joining forces with the enemy and we're firing those arrows alongside of him. Why don't we just link our shields together instead? God calls us to take up the shield of faith in every situation. Why is that? Because we are under attack in every situation, and the shield of faith is powerful and effective in every situation. My friends, we are guaranteed a hard-fought war. The Bible calls our enemy a roaring lion, lion who's going about seeking a victim to devour. Demons are on the move. But here's the thing. What these demons need to remember is that even though they're looking for us, we are looking for them. Satan takes spiritual warfare personally, but guess what? So does Jesus, and therefore, so do we. We have a mighty shield of faith, and with it, we are pushing forward in the battle. And with spike sandals, we kick the enemy in the teeth. See, my friend, Satan is understaffed. He's underfunded, and he's under fire. He is outnumbered, outgunned, outmatched, and he's almost out of time because Christ is the victor and Satan is defeated. Christ has conquered sin, death, the grave, and Satan, and through his power, we can too. So let's fight to win. And in Christ, we can experience what it means to have final victory. Let's pray. God, we call on you knowing that this battle is raging and we cannot win without you. We cannot overcome the powers of darkness on our own. And so, Lord, we look to you. I know that there are people here today that they've been under heavy attack and we feel unworthy of air. We feel unworthy of your love. So help us to cling to your word, to your promise that you are greater than the enemy. The enemy cannot stop your word. And so God, help us to pick up our shield. Help us to put on these sandals and go in to battle. I pray that you work in our midst this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.